him. Trust the force. The Empire is building a weapon capable of destroying an entire planet. They call it the Death Star. We need to capture the plans if there's any hope of destroying it. We want to help. All right. How many do I need? I'll be there for you. The captain said I had to. Charming. The power that we are dealing with here is immeasurable. I will not fail. The Imperial forces um, are converging on our present location. Take hold of this moment. The force is strong. Tell me you have a backup plan. Punch it! May the force be with us. Star Wars story. You almost got me. You're welcome. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into the final episode of our Star Wars Vember episode. I'm your host, Chris, as always, and you're tuned into Inside the Sequel. You know what this is. This is a sequel podcast where we talk about, you know, sequel movies don't get enough love or attention, and, you know, we bring them to light here, and we stand those motherfuckers. So I'm here to turn out the last episode of Star Wars Vember with my host throughout this entire month, which is Daniel Epler from the Cobwebs podcast. Daniel, how are you? I'm good. I, you know, Chris, I hope at the end of this series, we're not looking at it saying we were on the verge of greatness. We were this close. Yeah, I think the biggest disappointment will be that people see it's on Inside the Sequel, not on Cobwebs, but I digress. <laughs> well, no, it makes sense to be here. It makes much less sense to be on Cobwebs. I guess. But hey, we're on the cusps. Like, we're literally right after... Um, Spotify's 2021 wrapped or warped um, list. How's this podcast listings going for you? Uh, Like my top five listen to podcasts. Yes. Let's Uh, good. You know, I think the top two, the top two are podcasts I love, but they're also the podcasts that put out the longest episodes, which are screen drafts and our boy, Matt Bledsoe film feast. I think those Mark Warner episodes alone got film feast up to number two because that's you know four hours of pop so that's that's a lot of time put in there (laughs) my top five listenings were well number one inside the sequel of course because i love hearing my voice and and then my number two was yours daniel so congrats on cobwebs you made it another year we'll see if you survive another i did who knows man who knows (laughs) um but hey so we're talking about star wars member we're talking about today Rogue One and Solo, a Star Wars story. And um, we talked about Rise of Skywalker, which I think that one from the, I didn't think that one, I thought it was Last Jedi, but Rise of Skywalker's episode, it seems like we got a lot of re- feedback where people were wanting to go and rewatch that movie. So I got to thank you for having me on, or for coming on and talking about that with me. Oh, thank you, man. Mm-hmm. I love talking about that movie. And if, and if we caused anybody to like reevaluate it or look at it and no. In a somewhat positive way, then I'm happy. That's all I wanted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now we're talking about two of the 
this I, I don't know how do you what do you call these like i remember when these movies were coming out they were just called the star wars stories saga That's technically what they're called i mean they're just called star wars stories because you got solo a star wars story and rogue one a star wars story and i don't I think this is going to be it as far as movies called Star Wars story. I don't, I don't know that we're going to get any more. It was crazy. I was kind of thinking that myself because like with the announcements of all the other, other Star Wars movie, um, properties that are coming out, none of them have a Star Wars story tagged with them. I don't think we know any movie titles yet. Well, all we know right now are Disney Plus series titles. So the titles could be anything. Who knows? They could still be called um taika watiti a star wars story <laughs> whatever it's gonna be called um i just doubt it uh for some reason disney was really um reactionary with the with the reception of solo and they were like oh my god solo didn't do amazing we need to back off everything back off back off and and like i i would have told them guys like stand your ground people will turn it around on solo don't worry but uh it seems that they want to be reactionary about it Mm-hmm. And I'm a, so what we're gonna yeah i'm excited to talk about solo but we're gonna go based on release date we're gonna talk about rogue one for a little bit and then we're gonna move to to solo um you know it's it's a this last episode let's uh, kind of like get to the you know get to it i'm excited for them um and then at the end for those who are loyal to this podcast we will be ranking our star wars movies don't don't worry about that. That'll be all coming. 11, all 11 star Wars movies. <laughs> Get your crayons ready for this one. Take um, notes, take notes, <laughs> but rogue one. So Dana, this one's one of my favorite movies to talk about because we have such a history. When this movie came out, do we ever, my God, do we have a history? I, I swear <laughs> when this movie was coming out, I couldn't actually believe there was a star Wars movie that wasn't going to be part of like the numbered series. It was the first one to come out. That's a side story, full length movie. Um, it had Diego Luna in it. And I was like, Oh, the first Hispanic in the star Wars universe. That's cool. And then, um, Felicity Jones, uh, being the star of this movie, uh, man, the, Rogue One, when we first saw this movie in college, I was all about it. Um, it's it's easily one of the more rewatchable movies for me. One, because its visuals are probably the strongest in the entire series of Star Wars. But two, that cast alone is so entertaining. The dialogue is fantastic. And it takes place in that sweet spot between three and four. So this is by far the Star Wars movie that I have the most tumultuous relationship with. In that, look, for anybody out there, that has heard me just heap praise on all the sequel trilogy movies. And maybe you hated one of them and you're like, man, Daniel just likes all Star Wars movies. <laughs> I, I know what it's like folks, because I hated Rogue One when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was a crushing disappointment for me. I thought it was boring. I didn't know who I didn't get. I didn't feel like I got to know any of the characters. Like I didn't feel like I knew what was going on a lot of the time. Um, and it just like dragged for me and I was just not into it at all. And when I went out of it, I was like, that was terrible. Like I didn't like it at all. And it's a movie that um, it's, it's one of those movies that keeps drawing me back to it. It's sort of like uh, the original Halloween two. I really didn't like the original Halloween two when I first Bruh. saw it. I know, I know I, it's your favorite. Um, and it's a movie that for some reason, like, I kept wanting to rewatch and eventually it was like Stockholm syndrome. And now I love Halloween too. And rogue one is, is it's kind of become the same thing for me. Um, in that, like I've, I've rewatched it many times and pretty much every time I watch it, I like it more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, except I think maybe on this watch for the podcast, I liked it a little bit less than I did the last time, simply because I think it's a better movie to watch 
without thinking too much about it. And that like, it's a great world to live in. Cause you mentioned the visuals, like it is just a wonderful star Wars blanket of goodness to wash over you watching it for the podcast. You know, the problems continue to jump out at me. Uh, I don't think it's great, but I think it has great things about it for sure. Mm-hmm. I just think this movie has one of the better castings for Star Wars movies coming out at this time. I mean, you get Diego Luna, Felicity Jones, uh, you get Forrest Whitaker, Mads um, Mickelson, Mads Mickelson, you get uh, the ghost of Peter Cushing, <laughs> and Ben Middleston <laughs> as well as the middle management. Ben Mendelson. Mendelson. Um, and then you get Warwick Davis playing a little alien. That's cool. Um, yeah, this Riz Ahmed. Yeah, it has a fantastic cast, it? undoubtedly. And, and an extremely, by far the most diverse cast Star Wars has ever had, which was really great to see. Mm-hmm. And it was like the first like live action movie that threw us into the world between three and four. Like, because whenever it comes to Star Wars mediums, that's the, that's the area people want to build more stories for. You get with Star Wars Rebels, Star Wars Clone Wars show. It's just full, full of opportunity. And when this movie came out, like I didn't know any of these characters and what they were really, you know, what who they were in this world. And it it's weird because this, you know, people always like on TikTok, on Twitter, they're always like, I wish we could get a Star Wars movie that's all about the war, all about like people living in this that's war. That's every Star Wars movie is about the war. <laughs> right, right. And, and dude, I think everyone just literally wants like a, well, at the time, I think people had wanted like a Saving Private Ryan-esque Star Wars movie, which would be horrible. It would not be a good <laughs> idea. But if you did kind of want something similar to that, something like the games of sorts, you know, talk about like the 501st and the Clone Wars movies and video games, like this movie kind of gives you that. Like it gives you like, it gives you like an inside look at the, the grunts, you know, who are in the day-to-day fight of these movies that aren't going to be protected and go on to be in the next movies or not. This is a slice of like the slice of like the war, the world that of the war we were kind of like grown up in knowing. Um, And I think this movie, like I said before, I think has some of the best visuals in all of the Star Wars movies. I really do believe it. I think this movie is one of the most beautiful movies to look at from Star Wars um these characters it's sad what happens to them but like man lando let lando um captain um diego luna's character i'm I'm blanking right now but um cassian excuse me cassian andor yeah cassian like i mean i I can't not stop thinking about him i know it's diego luna playing him but it's like oh my god and then you think of donnie yen's character and like i kind of want to know what donnie yen's character was doing before rogue one you know what was he doing in the prequel movies um yeah this movie has a lot of what ifs that it did so well and wanted me to know but i mean it also this movie it's it was really well regarded got an 86 percent on tomometer you know so why do you always say tomatoes so weird <laughs> dude it's dude it's because i'm mexican dude. stop oh i'm so sorry i'm sorry yeah you know it's a it's a very unique star wars movie which is why i understand if it's your favorite And I understand if it's your least favorite because it feels different than any of the rest of them. You know, it does feel more like a typical war movie than Mm -hmm. any other Star Wars movie does. And I think that was one of my problems with it in that like, I, I tend not to like war movies. In recent years, I'm warming up to them, but in 2016, definitely didn't like war movies at all. Um, I like the fantasy of Star Wars. I like the fairy tale aspects of Star mm-hmm. Wars. You know, my favorite star- spoilers for our ranking later, but my favorite Star Wars movie is A New Hope. It's the most fairy tale of all of the Star Wars films. And Rogue One is a down and dirty 
fantasy sheen ripped off war movie. And at the time, that's not what I want. That's not what I want at all. But now I've come around to it a lot more because I'm definitely more obsessed with the world of Star Wars now. So maybe in 2016, I felt like, ah, you're just making a movie to like explain how they got the plans to the Death Star or explain why there's a weakness in the Death Star. I don't care about that. Well, guess what, Chris? Now I do care about that. (laughs) I care about that a lot more now than I did before. And I find it very interesting. And I do like this movie more now because I'm reading this book right now. Yeah, uh, called about it. Ca- it's called Catalyst. Um, it's a Star Wars novel, and it, it's a prequel to Rogue One. Essentially, I wanted to finish it before we did this podcast. Unfortunately, I, I've been trying to cram it. I haven't had the time, so I'm not quite done with it yet. But um, it is a prequel to Rogue One. The main characters are Galen Erso and director Krennic. Okay. And this book is phenomenal it is like the best star wars i've experienced since last jedi maybe like it's just wonderful star wars um and it's a lot better than rogue one honestly as a movie because because galen urso and krennic are such fascinating characters in it and it's so much and it starts out like during the clone wars um so it's really about the behind the scenes of how the republic is slowly turning more and more into the empire little by little and uh, Krennic is a Republic officer in the beginning. Um, and he's extremely, um, he, he's extremely, you know, wanting to climb the corporate ladder. He's a big company man. He wants to impress. He wants to get promoted. That's all he cares about. And uh, he's such a fascinating guy. And it's about, you know, Galen Erso. So much of the, bo- the book is devoted to Krennic slowly manipulating Galen into helping with this Death Star project. Anyway, I don't want to harp on it too long because I know a lot of people say that, you know, a movie needs to stand on its own. You shouldn't need to read a book to understand a movie. And I get that and everything. But, you know, if you're really into the Star Wars universe, Catalyst is a is a great thing to read to inform Rogue One. So any scene with Galen, any scene with Krennic are, is now better for me because I'm, I'm reading this book. And that's one of the strongest things about this movie. Like I was getting kind of blitz, not going to lie when I was watching Rogue One, but I was texting Dano simultaneously and be like, oh my God, everything with CGI, Grand Moff Tarkin and uh, Director Krennic is some of the best parts of Star Wars. Because like- the oh, wow, old, we'll like, talk about that. Because like the older I'm getting, you know, it's weird. When guys get older, they like these political thriller movies. You think like all the president's <laughs> men, yeah. you know, spotlight, you know, all these other types of movies. Um, I'm sure Gettysburg or gods and generals is going to be up there, but it's like, for me, I'm starting to really enjoy the political side of star Wars a little bit more because when I watched rogue one, the first time one is the visuals and just like the bridging between the two movies. Sure. The second time I've watched it, it's just the kind of like a, it's just a good Star Wars movies to watch where you don't have to watch all pre movies to get, but you can like, you know, watch it and you're like, okay, if I want to watch more stars, I'll just start with the new hope. Um, but then now I'm like, this movie is literally just director Krennic's, you know, bad work day, essentially, you know? <laughs> Um, but like the more you keep watching it and you see their interactions, you're like, Grandma Tarkin really was a bastard. And there's a reason why he was in charge of like the Death Star and in, in top of Vader in, in A New Hope, you know? 
Um, and it, yeah, it, man. Yeah. And it's like, I've been watching more hammer movies since I first watched rogue one. Thank so you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay. So Peter Cushing, you know, his, his representation of star Wars is more significant for me now. And, um, yeah, rogue one just kind of accomplishes that in a way. And the one thing about Rogue One, besides the Empire stuff being really good, because if you think about it, the distance between Revenge of the Sith and Rogue One isn't too crazy. When you see the, the, the Vader stuff, I can't help but think that's Hayden Christensen still underneath that, you know? And it's like, oh. It's not. It's not. But like in the, the, in like the timeline of it all, I kind of think, man, he had a real turnaround the way he's like talking to people. You know, you think the way Anakin talked to people. Now I'm thinking Darth Vader you know, talking down and being basically like a, a corporate manager to, to director Krennic. <laughs> it feels weird. Um, yeah. Let's, let's talk about these villain characters. So Tarkin, um, he was a big problem for me when I first saw the movie for sure, because I, I kid you not, whenever Tarkin was on screen, I was not listening to a word of the dialogue because I was so distracted by CGI Peter Cushing in front of me. I could not focus on anything else. I'm just sitting there like, what the hell am I looking at? What is this monstrosity? Um, so by, by now, obviously like the shock of it has worn off and I can listen to the dialogue and I can appreciate the dialogue. And when I first saw it, I said, why did they do CGI Tarkin? Why don't those scenes just have Vader? Because obviously Vader can just be in a helmet and it's fine. He doesn't have to be CGI or something like that. Just have it be Darth Vader. Um, and I realize now that that's, that's not the case. This should, this has to be Tarkin in those scenes. It has to be Grand Moff Tarkin uh, because Tarkin's the one that's in charge of the Death Star. And this book that I'm reading, Catalyst, it has amazing scenes between Krennic and Tarkin. And, uh, and Tarkin's basically non-faith in Krennic's Death Star um, project, which you see seeds of in Rogue One before he ends up taking over. But um, I really think they should have recasted. I don't mind the idea of bringing back Cushing's likeness. And the reason for that is Peter Cushing, he loved being in Star Wars. And he was sad that his character got killed off. He said he would have loved to do more Star Wars movies. So I, I like that his likeness lives on in Star Wars, even past his death. That kind of makes me happy. But the CGI is not good, I don't think. I mean, for what they're trying to do, it's impressive, but it doesn't look like a person. Um, it's so artificial. It moves artificially. It has dead eyes. It looks like a video game character. And the video um, game character token message. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you know, in... I'm going to throw some, I'm going to throw some praise right now to Halloween kills because Halloween kills brought back Donald Pleasance, but they didn't CGI him. They brought back an actor who looked like him. They put on some makeup to make him even look even more like him. And then they had a different actor who could sound like him voice the character. And it worked out really well. And they should have done that for this because whoever they've gotten voicing Tarkin is fantastic. He sounds exactly like Peter Cushing. So just bring in an actor put some prosthetics on him, make him look kind of like Cushing. Uh, we're adults. We understand, uh, not everyone who watches Rogue One is a, an adult, but we all understand how movies are made. We understand actors die. We understand recastings have to happen. Just recast him. I, I think they should have done that because I the CGI is still bad. It still stands out to me like a sore thumb and it does block me from enjoying those scenes as much as I wish I could. 
Yeah, you know, in comparison to how it is now, it was kind of one of the first movies to bring that technology to the forefront, I feel like. It was, yeah. You know, I mean, then Scorsese makes a whole fucking movie based around it, you know? So he says, like, you know, MCU well, movies that's aren't de-aging, cinema. to be fair. <laughs> that's not the same thing as bringing back a dead person. I feel like Grandma Tarkin CGI in Rogue One looks better than De Niro stomping as an old man looking younger in Irishman. <laughs> That's a debate for another time, but I, I, I'm still just not a fan of the Tarkin look in this. Yeah, I, I was he in the trailer for the movie because I remember so being surprised I don't think so. he was in the movie. In I, it was a shock, a shock for me. And he's significantly in the movie too. Yeah, man, he sure is. I didn't pay attention to the credits. Did did they give Peter Cushing credits in that? <laughs> I mean, I doubt it because. It's not Cushing. It's just something that looks like him. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, yeah, because, you know, like when you say the Halloween kills and the Dr. Loomis thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, aside from that, I think the strong parts about this movie is, so we talk about with Rise of Skywalker, Last Jedi, kind of like how the resistance is, resistance is kind of like being on the last hope and and really struggling. We get to go back and revi- revisit what the, the Rebel Alliance was like before A New Hope. And like, we talk about with Last Jedi being like, you know, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy and the lines being blurred in a way. In this movie, it kind of gives more of that for the Rebel Alliance as well because Cassian Andor, what does he say during the movie? He's like, you know, you know how many things I've had to do for the Alliance, you know, good things Terrible and things, bad things. he says. Yeah, and this is the movie that kind of like takes away the bright shining light of the rebellion and kind of brings back a dimmer like this is war things have to be kind of done so it's an interesting take that we didn't get in the original trilogy even in the clone wars in a way um i kind of like that it kind of sets the tone because it came out during these uh the sequel trilogy and it fits that tone in a way you know and i kind of have to credit rogue one for that also i love the parts with because it introduces saw guerrero um Forrest Whitaker's character um, being like in a relationship with uh, Felicity Jones. Um, not in a relationship. He's a father figure. Oh, sorry. To be clear. In, in relation to, yes, they are not They're They are not. He's just friends with Mad Mickelson's character, Galen Erso. Um, but with Felicity Jones, um, I like the, I don't like the character of Saul Guerrero, but I like when he's mentioned in the mouths of rebel alliance leaders of being an extremist it's more world building and as someone who's a fan of just sci-fi in general i love world building i like references to things that i have no idea about but like we explain and learn about them more you know or we get to see it um and that's the thing with Saul Guerrero. he's a world builder item for me but i don't like him as a character yeah uh I agree. Um, when I first, I mean, when I first saw Rogue One, I was like, who is this person? <laughs> what is going on? Um, I, you know, I know more about Saul Guerrero now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in Jedi Fallen Order, the video game. Uh, he's in Rebels. Um, he is this a, a rebellion fighter, but an extremist that pretty much both sides kind of fear. And he's an interesting character. Uh, Forrest Whitaker's performance. I don't think it's very good. Um, it's pitched at a completely different level than any other actor in the movie. Mm-hmm. He's so over the top when he's like, save the dream. It's really bad. Um, he's like the Jared Leto of this movie for House of Gucci. He, I thought of the exact same thing. <laughs> he really is that. He is the Paolo Gucci of the movie. Like, don't mix the, the chocolate with shit. 
They taste very different. I have all these ideas. <laughs> all right, I'm not going to do a Jared Leto impression anymore. Oh, people should watch Hasaguchi. <laughs> they should. It's a good movie. I really like it. I'm it's just a, not a fan of Jared it's, Leto. It's, it's a cute little movie that Ridley Scott did before you all. we all eventually watched Last Duel. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how no one has seen Last Duel because it came out for like a week in October and now we're all just waiting for it to come on streaming. Uh, which is on streaming for $20 now, but I'm waiting I'm waiting for the price to come down. I'm Good very god. excited to watch it. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, anyway, but- um so you mentioned Cassian. Uh I have really come to love love Cassian. Um, a lot. And they're going to make a Disney Plus show around him and I'm very excited for that. Diego Luna is a great actor. He's fantastic in the movie. He really represents um, the gray area of war that we didn't get to see in the original trilogy. Because the original trilogy, the morality is very simple in a good way, in a great way. Um, But this really shows that, yeah, if you're on the rebellion, it's still war. You still do bad things, even if you're fighting for something good. And one of the first things we see him do is kill his informant. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. just a shocking moment. You don't see rebel, rebel officers do things like that. He's so, he's interesting, he's complex, the performance is great, and in the back half of the movie, when him and Jin, Felicity Jones, have warmed up to each other, they're, I I swear, to me, they feel like high schoolers with a crush. Like, I love how they act around each other, it's super cute, and I love the two of them together. Yeah, because it kind of gives into the whole, like, fuel of the fire of, like, war and love, you know? Um, When watching this movie, because I watched it after the sequel movies, I really enjoyed seeing stormtroopers. Not like the First Order yes. troopers, but like the stormtroopers from the original trilogy. They're the best. Yeah. Like, it's like, he's like, oh, let me see your identification. The bumbling idiot kind of star stormtrooper in a way, you know? Really enjoyed that. Also, I, what this movie does is it captures kind of like in the vein of like how serious the empire was while also keeping the nostalgia factor of the previous original trilogy. Because like when they're talking about the, the death star and being a planet killer and the, the fear. And when they say that stuff, I really do feel for these people. I'm like, I would be scared as shit too. You know um, they, they really build it up and it's like different. It's a different vibe compared to like the star star killer base or the planet killers that the, the final order has in the sequel trilogy. And I kind of enjoyed this like slower paced back to what I'm more familiar with growing up with the death star being this big thing, you know, because we get this movie is mostly also about the construction of the death star. Yes. The empire is so great in this movie. It's such a powerful, frightening presence. This so one of the best things about the movie is mm-hmm. you really feel the weight of the empire. And like I've said before, you know, anytime you show me stormtroopers, I'm happy mm-hmm. like you, lots of stormtroopers, death troopers are in this movie that mm-hmm. a new black design. They look incredible. So yeah, everything about the empire rocks in this film. Um, I, and, and you know, the death star is a huge deal. And I love how this movie and catalyst, uh, they really treat the, the construction of the Death Star like this massive achievement. Um, we stand among Krennic's achievements. Not yours, by the way. I love Ben Mendelsohn's Krennic. He is one thing that I loved opening night and I love to this day. He is such a great sniveling middle manager, imperial officer. His whole motivation in this movie is not winning the war. It's not wanting to like do the right thing for the empire. It's he wants to move up 
He wants to be promoted. He wants the emperor to notice him. And he wants somebody, either Tarkin or Vader, to put in a good word for him to the emperor so he can be in charge of the Death Star. And I just love what a sniveling, backstabbing little dick he is. He's great. Right. Also, the beginning of the movie really sets the chops for the character. When he pulls up to uh, Mads Mikkelsen's character, um, Galen Erso's like planet and like with the like yes. four dark troopers side by side with him. Also, I was like, why did they land the, the ship so far away from the house and then like walk that distance there? Like, not to be a cinema sin, <laughs> but I was like, damn, they really parked far away from this guy's house. Um, but it's then a I, great opening scene. Did it remind you of the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards at all? Oh, that's a good comparison. Kinda, kinda. But I love the part where he goes like, oh, there she is back from the dead. Shocker. You it's know? a miracle. <laughs> I, I, that, that's such a good opening. Also, this movie, I have to credit for being a side story movie. It's the first to not have a title crawl. Yeah, I remember that was a shocker opening night when it says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then it cuts with that music right into right into the thick of it. Um, by the way, I love the score so much. It's the first Star Wars movie that doesn't have the traditional John Williams mm-hmm. score. I mean, the first one that's not scored by John Williams. It's by Michael Giacchino and it's gorgeous. Like sometimes some more traditional Star Wars themes kick in here and there. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's a pretty original score. And it's, it's beautiful. And, and at this point, it's iconic for me. And of all of the Star Wars movies, I got to admit, it's a score that I put on pretty frequently uh-huh. compared to even the classics. Nice. I love this one. Nice. Hey, we're saying that you're an intelligent movie listener. You can put on scores of movies and it's Rogue One. That's interesting. Hey, man. Back at you. Hey, dude. You know how many times I put on John Carpenter's Halloween 2 score over the original? Easily. Don't blink twice. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. It's so fun to pop on. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Rogue One got us just a tone for things. Like it's it's very blue, you know, but yeah. then it gets very bright and vibrant and then it gets really dark. Like when you get like to the scenes in Edo, um, it's raining and it's pitch black and you can barely see shit. Um, but you know, the, the visual of this movie, I think, like I said, I, I was texting Daniel during watching this movie. I swear this movie has some of the best visuals, but the dialogue in this movie, every character, whether it's Donnie Yen's blind Jedi guardian and his sidekick, or if it's even the, the robot in the character, I wish I remembered his name right now. Um, like K2SO. K2SO. Like every character's dialogue in this movie, it's like... It's really good. Like I'm engaged, like in a Star Wars movie where it's not just even like when the jokes hit, there's still more dialogue that's added to it. I really enjoy it. I think the yeah, screenwriters man. were really good for this movie and keeping us, you know, because like when you think about Star Wars Rogue One, you don't hear about these characters again. You have to assume the worst. They, did, they didn't make it at the end of the movie, but they still kind of build the world and make these characters stand up in their shining moments. And like, I love that. Like, I mean, Donnie Yen's character, how many times is he saying the force with me and I'm with the force? You know, that's just almost as iconic as any sort of Star Wars dialogue. Um, you know, Jin Erso saying like, we're rebels, we rebel, you know? And, um, and that's not in the movie. No. That's actually just in the trailer. Right. But like, I mean, how many, like, when I think about Rogue One, I think about that trailer. I think about, um, you know, with the robot saying like, you, be, you continue to astonish me, you know, or talking about what's the calculations of us surviving, which is similar to what C-3PO does in like most of the movies. 
Um, this movie kind of like has comparisons that draw from the main characters, but like change it up a bit. And it's kind of refreshing because I like these characters. Like all of them have like a moment of greatness in a way. They're not just a small side character. They all kind of mean something. Yeah, I mean, I agree. There's some good dialogue. There's some good lines. I don't think the writing is great because, I mean, I think the, I find the first half of this movie pretty slow and pretty choppy. Um, I feel like the movie really kicks in when Jen Erso gives that speech in front of the rebellion of the Rebel Alliance about how they need to go do this thing. Yes. Um, and that's like an hour and 15 minutes into the movie. So there's a lot of movie before that. It's not that everything is bad before that, but it's it's choppy. It's slower. I think of all, all the Disney Star Wars movies almost have great action sequences throughout, except Rogue One. Uh, Rogue One has great action at the end. I think Battle of Scarif is amazing. Not really standout action scenes like in the beginning or the middle. Uh, I mean, you get to see Donnie Yen fight for like 20 seconds. It's good. It's better than what Donnie Yen got to do in, in Blade 2, for sure, that we previously talked about. Oh, and I, I like Donnie Yen in the movie. I do think I perhaps like Donnie Yen in the movie mostly because he's Donnie Yen. But his character is fine. Um, we just don't know very much about him except that he connects to the forest and he has a friend. It, it's, it's, it's a movie that I like, I like to live in. I like the world. I like the visuals, but I don't think the movie's great. You know, I think the back half is fantastic, but I think the front half is really, really choppy and has some good stuff, but a lot of not so great stuff. I think, well, you didn't like the beginning part of the movie where they bump into um, the two guys who are going to be in the cantina scene. They get their arm chopped off and a new hope in Jetta. <laughs> I don't even remember them to be honest. Yeah. Like they bump it to, um, to Jin and Lan uh, and, um, and Cassian and they're going to go look at them and then they're like, don't worry about them. Don't get engaged. And then they end up basically, they're the same characters who Obi-Wan Kenobi cuts their arms off in the Mos Eisley Cantina. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Like you didn't I'll like that. Oh, no, I don't know when say I don't like it. It's fine. I didn't even remember it. I kind of like the scenes in Jedi, except the Saul Guerrero stuff. That stuff's not good. But I like the Jedi scenes. You know, like talking about Kyber crystals and what the the what the Empire is doing. I really enjoy that. I but mean, I, Saul isn't good in those scenes, but you know who is? It's Felicity Jones. We haven't really talked about, but I think she's fantastic in this movie. And I didn't quite connect to her on a first watch. I think it took some time, but by now I, I really love her. I think the performance is great. I love the arc that she goes through, how she starts out really, really cynical. And um, I don't have the luxury of political opinions. She doesn't <laughs> yeah, care about yeah. either side of the war, but because of her connection to her father and her thinking she didn't have a connection to her father, but now realizing that she does, which is especially gratifying to me because reading this book, Galen Erso is such a good man and he's such a good family man. He loves his family so much. He was only torn away from his family because of the horrible empire. Um, it's just really gratifying to see her, you know, her see him for who he is and really love her father and really care about this cause. And I love her in the back half where she's just kind of let go of all of her cynicism and, and her, her negativity and she's really positive and she's become a leader and she's really gung-ho for this mission and her and Cassian are connecting and they're cute together and K2SO has a good relationship with her and um, I think I think she's great in the movie and she's one of my favorite parts about it now. One of my favorite scenes with her is when she's watching the hologram of her father 
explain basically the plans, like you know, the beginning of the demise of the of of his creation. I really love that good. scene. Yeah, and then Jedi gets destroyed. But the best scene of all of that is um, <laughs> where Jedi's like, "Set your sights on, set your sights on the planet," and then uh, Gra- Grandma Tarkin's like. We, we only need, um, what does he say? We only need a demonstration, not a manifesto. The temple will do. And then they start blowing up Jetta. I think the Jetta stuff, when it's getting blown up, is kind of lame. Jet, like, freaking Sawgirl kind of sees everything. He says, go, everyone, leave. Leave me behind. And I'm like, whatever. I'm you tired know. of running. <sighs> Save the dream. He's the biggest problem for me. Also, the scenes with Riz Ahmed in him, I really hate because it's like it's very clear as day that Riz Ahmed's pilot character is there to deliver the goods, but Sagara is doing, I don't know what the fuck he's really doing. He's like feeding him to an octopus and shit. And I'm like, huh? You know, that's the weakest parts of the movie for me. Yeah, Riz Ahmed is kind of a disappointment for me because he's a great actor. Uh, and it's not a very interesting character. Uh, we don't really know anything about him except the pa- the fact that he's a pilot. He half of his dialogue is just him saying, mm-hmm. "I'm a pilot." Mm-hmm. Um, he's just not interesting, and we just don't really learn anything about him. And any affection we possibly have for him is just because we like Riz Ahmed as an actor. That's, that's so that's true. Really where it I, and I, ends. I, I, that's so true. I was kind of thinking the same thing. <laughs> Like, I like and poor, Riz- poor Riz Ahmed also got a terrible character in Venom, too. So we really got to step it up with putting him in blockbusters. Oh my god, in Venom, dude. Yeah, he's so he has no business being in that movie because he's better than that. <laughs> he is way too good for Venom. But then again, so is Michelle Williams. I don't know what's happening with that movie. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like I really enjoyed this movie. I think it's one, it's an easier rewatch movie for me than any of the other ones because, like I said. If I don't want to binge, I don't know what it is about me with movie franchise. If I watch a movie, I kind of want to watch the next one and the next one, and the next one after that with rogue one, I'm kind of like, I can watch it. And like, I know what's going to go on after I understand what enough, what happened before it to like, kind of be in that sweet spot in a way. So you don't feel like popping on new hope right after this fence. When we get to the rankings, we'll talk about a new hope. Um, but at the same time, We cannot excuse the amazing scare of battle scenes and even the ending to Rogue One, which I think it's some of the strongest scenes in Star Wars. Rogue One knows how to end a fucking movie. It does. Uh, Yeah, the Battle of Scarif is fantastic. All of that action is great. This movie really holds its good action until the very end, pretty much. Um, But it delivers. It absolutely delivers. Um, There are two things at the end we've got to talk about. First of all, Darth Vader hallway scene. What are your thoughts on that? Okay. In theaters, the biggest hype shit I've ever seen in my life. When it comes to theater, Star Wars stuff, I was like, holy shit. This is like with throne room, Star Wars, Last Jedi stuff. Um, But now it's just kind of cool. You know, it's just, I just, it's so quick, you know? It's very quick. Yeah. Um, Opening night. I was kind of mad at that scene. Really? <laughs> the, You're crazy. the reason, the reason being it's silly, but the reason being, okay, new hope is my favorite star Wars movie and I'm kind of protective of it. And I don't like when people suggest that the, the lightsaber fight between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan sucks. And that I remember there was this thing going around the internet where people like, redid it basically i don't know if they used actors or cgi i honestly don't remember but they made it all like super fancy parkour like lightsaber fighting prequel style 
and that, and that kind of made me mad because I'm like, you're you're robbing the the thematic weight of that fight. You're missing the point that they're fighting that way because they're old. Uh, I think Obi Wan is just an old man. He's broken down, and I honestly think in that fight, Darth Vader's toying with him a little bit. I think Darth Vader's you know capable of a little bit more than he's sure. showing in that fight, but he's he doesn't want to kill his mentor right away. He's toying with him a bit. I kind of saw the Darth Vader scene as like, see, Darth Vader in a New Hope timeline can actually be cool. And I'm like, fuck you. He was cool in the original trilogy. Shut up. I, I don't see it quite that cynically anymore. And honestly, in my memory, it was like parkour Ray Park as Darth Maul style fighting, like he's doing flips or something. And it's really not that. It's actually not that fancy. Uh, it's cool, but it's not that fancy, really. Um, so I'm fine with it. I, you know, it's never going to be one of my favorite Star Wars scenes because it doesn't add anything to the story of the franchise. It's just here, here's Darth Vader doing some cool stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. So I'm, I'm good with it. He's mostly using the force throughout the whole thing. Like he's doing the force choke, a force pull and yeah, then lightsaber true. slashes. And I'm like, I mean, nothing fancy there, you know, stuff we've known Darth Vader to do. Um, and we got to think like, what is this between the time of An- younger Anakin and then Darth Vader? Obviously Darth Vader is, God, we're going to get really nerdy. If like Darth Vader's fighting style is going to be significantly different than Anakin Skywalker's fighting style. You know, he's limbs chopped off. He's more mechanical now. It's going to be a lot different. Um, he's stiffer, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I, for me, Darth Vader's never been this amazing Lord of the Sith that's going to destroy an entire you know race. You know, he, he's not going to do the things Kylo Ren did in the beginning of Rise of Skywalker. I've never thought Darth Vader was going to be that kind of character. To me, he's more of the right-hand man to the Emperor. He's going to be more menacing in person and be more politically driven and be more of a military general than anything else because that's what we got in The Rise of Skywalker or not the original trilogy. We got like in this movie when he's talking to Ben Middleson, he's both basically telling him what's going to be going on. In A New Hope, he's basically trying to imitate you know, be an intimidator, intimidator to other characters. Like he's trying to imitate princess Leia and basically tell everybody what to do. Um, and empire strikes back. And then everything on after that, he's basically in charge of the military at that point until he goes to the beck and call of the emperor. He's never felt to me like this incredibly lightsaber fighting badass that people want it to be outside of the video games. I see what you're saying. Like people put, uh, maybe kind of a power fantasy on Darth Vader. Yes. Like they think he's going to be, cause he's so cool with a cape and he has armor, red eyes. And he's is- cool. I mean, he's the coolest looking thing ever in star Wars full stop. Right. But the coolest things about Darth Vader have always been the dialogue sequences. The part where he's like, you're part of the rebel Alliance and a traitor take her away. <laughs> and the part where he's forced choking and he's like, you're in charge of the battalion. Now captain needle and empire strikes back. That's Love amazing. It. Love it. Yeah. And then him in, in basically beckoning Luke to fight him in Empire Strikes or in Return of the Jedi, when he's like, your sister perhaps would join us, your sister. You know, like I enjoy that stuff. (laughs) Like his dialogues have always been great while he's delivering him and looking badass. But I've never thought when you play fucking Star Wars, the Force Unleashed with, you know, being Darth Vader's secret apprentice between the Clone Wars and episode four in the video games he's like taking down the entire wookie race and kashik at the beginning of those video games that's never felt like darth vader to me yeah well pe- people need to chill on taking video games as like 
thinking i don't, I don't know like there, there's a lot to say about star wars video games and how i, I think they kind of warp people's view of the force and such it's probably a discussion for another time um i totally hear you though i think you're onto a lot of good stuff there but one thing i do want to say about the end of this movie also is i actually love the final shot i know a lot of people didn't i know a lot of people kind of made fun of it but the cgi recreation of young carrie fisher there that did work for me because it's so quick. Mm-hmm. It's so quick that this the bad CGI does not stand out to me at all. You barely see her face and you just see her see hope. And you needed that moment at the end of this movie because this movie is such a bittersweet ending where all of our characters die. And we knew they were going to die. They have mm-hmm. to die mm-hmm. in order to lead into new hope properly. Um, so we could leave this theater just feeling sad, but just seeing Carrie Fisher having her say hope and knowing that leads directly into new hope and how all of our affection for that movie. I think that was a pretty brilliant way to end the movie to leave us feeling good. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that was one of the stronger parts of the movie as well. And uh, the scare of, like I said, the scare of battle scenes are great. This, the, the spaceship scenes are awesome. Um, yeah. And it gives more weight to a new hope because you feel the impending danger after watching rogue one and going to new hope. You understand why everything is such in a rush, but yeah, I, I like rogue one a lot. I think this movie is one of the more easy watch star Wars movies to watch because it looks good. And you like things that from other star Wars movies that are in this, you get some Easter egg scenes as well. Um, I like it, but I don't like it as much as solo, which we should talk about next. Cause I love fucking solo. Yeah, I like Rogue One too. Let's talk about Solo. So you want to make a difference? Yeah. Trust me, you're going to love it. And which branch are you interested in joining? I'm going to be a pilot. Best in the galaxy. Your name? Let's talk about Solo. Um, it was a movie when it came to theaters. I wasn't as excited for, but I saw opening day. And um, oh my God, I left that movie a changed man. I was like, this is <laughs> Star Wars. Like I was solo has never stopped but only gotten better for me like solo is so fucking good it's crazy it didn't make as much money as it should have done solo is a movie that i love so much and it pisses me off to no end that people don't get this movie i literally think like normally i would say hey to each their own people like different movies so good If you don't like Last Jedi, you know, I understand that's okay. With Solo, I feel like there are literal blinders over people's brains and they can't, there are certain things that are not allowing them to see this movie for what it is. It, I'm not saying this movie is as good as John Carpenter's The Thing, but it reminds me of people reacting to John Carpenter's The Thing in 1982 and be like, oh, this is bad. And now we're all like, you people are insane. You like, you had a mental block. I don't know what it was, but you couldn't see this movie accurately. 
And I feel like that about Solo. Okay, so I was also not super excited for Solo when it came out. I don't know why. I just, mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't that pumped. Uh, but I took my wife, Stephanie, to see it. And uh, she, I still hadn't really introduced her to Star Wars. She hadn't seen very much. Um, but I knew this was like a prequel, kind of a standalone. So I was like, yeah, it's fine. You can come with me to see it. And she loved it which was great for me because it was the first time we connected on a Star Wars movie. And now she's a big Star Wars fan. We love to watch them together. Um, but at the time, it was the first Star Wars movie we ever connected to, uh, connected on, um, which, you know, that meant a lot. So I'll admit personal bias there. But the movie is an enormous amount of fun. It's incredibly well made. It's gorgeous. The action is spectacular like incredible the actors are phenomenal they're so charismatic and charming and good um and i think there's certain things that are blocking people from liking this movie okay one there's this stupid narrative on the internet that people say oh it's bad because lord and miller got fired and now it's just like a chopped up movie or whatever okay let's address this um yes lord and miller were originally making this movie and they got fired. I think that was probably the right decision. Uh, Chris, I don't know how much you know about Lord and Miller, but um, I think I've seen everything they've ever done. Um, They made like the Lego movie and the 21 Jump Street movies and the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatball movies. And they they were involved in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, although I believe they were not the directors of that. And um, they're very good. I like them, but I I feel like I know exactly what their version of Solo would have been because I've seen all of their other stuff. And it would have been really jokey, a lot of making fun of the Star Wars universe and a lot of meta jokes. And that would have been the wrong call. And honestly, if Kathleen Kennedy saw they're making fun of the Star Wars universe, they're making a lot of meta jokes, she probably said, you know what? It's my job to protect George Lucas's vision. I have to protect this world that George Lucas created. I can't. Completely the wrong choice. And instead, they brought in a solid, very accomplished journeyman director, Ron Howard, to come in, get the job done. And my God, did he ever. And he made just a terrific adventure film. Dude, you literally caught caught off on the part about the Kathleen Kennedy. It's my job, and then to, <laughs> then I'm so sorry. And then I got you at the Ron Howard part, which was like I knew it's gonna be good. Can you just please say that so I can include it? Because like I agree yes. with you. <laughs> it's Kathleen's job, Kathleen Kennedy's okay. job to protect Lucas's vision. Cool. Kathleen Kennedy was probably like, you know what? It's my job to protect George Lucas's vision to protect the Star Wars universe that George Lucas set up. I can't let these guys come in here, these comedy guys, and make fun of the universe and make a lot of meta jokes. They're great at that. They do a great job with that in other movies, but they can't do that with Star Wars. We have a certain tone and universe we need to uphold. So she got rid of those guys. Like I said, I don't know that that's why she got rid of them, but it completely makes sense to me, Mm -hmm. judging by every movie they've ever made. Mm -hmm. She brings in an accomplished journeyman director, Ron Howard, and hires him to do a job and do it well. And my God, does he ever, he makes this incredibly fun adventure movie. And I'm just so happy that they went that way. Um, so for everyone that says that like, it's bad because Lord and Miller got fired. That's, that's crazy talk. I think that that's the reason the movie is good. Yeah, I agree with Ron Howard really did a good job with this movie. I've seen a few Ron Howard movies. 
uh, before this, you know, I I've seen like missing, um, you know, I've seen him in other things. Um, have you seen, oh, fuck, I'm going to blank on his name right now. Did you see, uh, not, what was that racing movie he did? Oh, um, rush rush. Did you see rush? I did. I thought it was great. Really? Yeah. Like a really entertaining movie. Right. Um, and then he's doing a star Wars movie, which he's worked with George Lucas before he kind of probably has an understanding of what George Lucas wanted to do. Um, yeah. If he you're... has, cause he directed Willow, mm-hmm. which of like all fantasy movies feels the most like star Wars. Yes. Time. Yes. Not because only because Warwick Davis was, you know, in a star Wars movie or two. Um, but <laughs> he totally gets it. I totally agree. And if you're a director whose name is next to cloudy with a chance of meatballs, then you, probably are a niche director that belongs in whatever the fuck niche you're in. And that's about it. Uh, but that's just my <laughs> opinion. Um, when it comes to DreamWorks movies, I, I champion DreamWorks, but I, we do not own the cloudy with a chance of meatballs movies. Like that shit is away from me. They're, I think they're good. I, I, I do think they're good. And I like Lord and Miller a lot. I just don't think, I don't think they're right for star Wars. I think they were right for into the spider verse which is a phenomenal movie, but Into the Spider-Verse is a very meta, out-of-universe, mixing-universe kind of movie. And that's not what Solo is at all. Yeah, and I when you said, I could totally tell what kind of Star Wars movie they're going to make, Solo, the character, his comedy, his demeanor in a, a standalone movie, which we've never gotten up to this point, it's a very calculated, it's a very specific kind of comedy that has to fit in the Star Wars movies, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the comedy really works in this movie. It's like not too much, but it's just enough. Um, another thing that I think is a block for people liking this movie. Well, there's a couple of things. I, I kind of want to go through these and argue against people. Mm-hmm. One, well, this I'm not going to argue against. It, I do think it was legi- legitimately a mistake to release this movie in May. Yes. It was released five months after The Last Jedi. Um, and I think, and you know, um, gosh, what is his name? The guy who was the head of Disney until just recently. Oh, on to my tongue. I know Bob. Exactly. Bob, Bob Al- Ulrich? Ulrich. I care Bob something. Anyway, he, he put out a memoir recently and he completely admitted that he was the one who mandated solo come out in May. And I think you got cocky because that works for MCU. They release movies like mm-hmm. even a couple of months apart and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but star Wars is not the MCU star Wars needs to feel special. It needs to feel like an event. It can't just be another episode of a TV show, which is, you know, a little bit of what the MCU feels like sometimes. And uh, so we're, we're still reeling over last Jedi. Uh, we're still neck deep in controversy over that movie. Yep, yep. And I think people are a little bit sick of star Wars when this came around and they're like, oh, you know what? I'm still processing last Jedi or I'm still fighting with internet trolls on Twitter over last Jedi. I can't process another star Wars movie right now. So that was a mistake, but also there is a very bad scene in this movie. And when I say scene, I mean like 30 seconds, there's 30 seconds where solo gets his name, where the empire Imperial officer says, Oh, your name is Han. What's your last name? Who are your people? He says, I have no people. And the Imperial officer says, hmm, Han Solo. Okay, Mm -hmm. folks, it's bad. It's a bad scene. It's also like 30 seconds of a two hour and 15 minute movie. And I feel like people act like this whole movie is that. And it's not. 
It is not a stupid prequel that is constantly making references backwards. Um, when it does make references backwards, I think it does it in an incredibly smart and well done way. But that part is bad. But let's stop pretending that's the whole movie. Yeah, no, I agree. When that happened, I was kind of like, huh, very anticlimactic. But also the beginning of Last Jedi, Luke grabs his lightsaber and tosses it behind him. You know, like these are like we build these things up for these characters we love because of nostalgia, but we don't kind of look at them as people in like in a realistic lens. Subverting expectation was the biggest thing said in 2018 and 2019 in movies um, or 2017, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I didn't feel ever bothered by it because everything else about this movie does everything right. This is one of the, you want to know how to make a side story, a side story Star Wars movie? Like Solo is the blueprint for that movie. Um, it gets everything right. It's a beautifully looking movie. I remember my biggest complaint being it's too dark. It's hard to see a lot of things sometimes. Like, you know, that's just a visual, like that's just an artistic choice. And I still love I think the movie a lot of that. I think a lot of movie theaters didn't project it right because you watch it on Blu-ray and it looks great. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's an artistic choice. You, you, if you're going to use a movie with a lot of yellows and a lot of dark palettes, it's going to be a hard looking movie and you have to watch it in a darkly lit room. But like it only makes it more cinematic, like but it also makes scenes look so much better. Like you begin the opening scene with the the gangster alien in the beginning, the light shines up and she stands up and it burns her. And she's this huge, tall looking, ugly monster. I'm like, whoa, holy shit. That's a good contrast to the dark with a really bright spot. And you see this horrific thing. That's really cool. You see the dark and gritty parts um, of the planet in this movie, you know, if you're going to a casino versus the cancel bite scenes, which are super bright and vibrant scenes, you get a contrast to this where it's dark and gritty and grungy of like the worst people in the galaxy gambling and having a good time. It fits what Han Solo would have been doing. I mean, we see him in the force awakens. He's capturing and screwing people over for these giant monsters, you know, like Han Solo is exactly this character in the casting for Han, I think was perfect. Um, I was at, at first skeptical, but anybody was going to be skeptical. wasn't, you know, anyone not Harrison Ford to be solo. That might've been most of the heart, one of the most controversial, like, casting choices like how do you replace harrison ford um but i feel like this movie got every casting choice right even you know childish gambino donald glover being lando calrissian phenomenal yeah like this movie understood the assignment and even did more than it needed <laughs> to you know and I'm and I'm biased i love this movie to death i i mean remember i saw this movie three times in theaters like i mean it's it's, just a, it's an amazing Star Wars movie and it understands how to be a side story while also recognizing the Castle Run scenes, Chewbacca. Oh, okay. I mean, Let, let's, let's start breaking things out because you're running through so much and it's so much stuff I love. So you were talking about Alden Ellen, mm-hmm. Alden Ellen Reich a little bit ago. Let, let's talk about him. So a lot of people say, oh, I didn't need a Han Solo prequel. It's unnecessary. Well, after I've seen Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo, I'd say, no, we did need to see it. I needed mm-hmm. to see it mm-hmm. because he is fantastic. Yep. I love that he made the choice. Well, him and Ron Howard, I'm sure, 
made the choice to not impersonate Harrison Ford. Right. And instead to make the character his own. Yes. And he doesn't impersonate Harrison Ford at all. Nope. Uh, he brings in little mannerisms. You know, they make him, they give him the same hair, hairstyle. There's little things just to connect the character. And I feel like I can see, okay, Alden Ehrenreich is A, Harrison Ford is C. I can fill in the B in between of what, how he be, turns into Harrison Ford eventually. It's fine. Um, but I love Alden's Han almost as much as I love Harrison Ford's Han at this point. And I know Same. that's controversial, but he's phenomenal. He is so charming. Just ridiculous movie star charisma on screen. Mm -hmm. He's so much fun to watch. Um, I, I love how he differs from Han and that it's not the, a different character. It's very much him at a different point in his life where he's very optimistic. Yes, he is optimistic to a fault and he has so much belief in himself and belief that he can do anything he's just the kind of protagonist you love to watch who's willing to try anything do anything to get what he wants that's always going to be a fun protagonist to watch and this is the movie that kind of makes him more cynical and by the end he's you know he's had heartbreak he's had some things really go wrong he's learned not to trust people and you can see how a few years down the line he's going to be the cynical jackass that we get in a new hope <laughs> that we love so much but uh, yeah, this is just a different Han, and I'm so glad it's a different Han because um, I I'm, I don't watch it comparing him to Harrison. I really right. don't. I'm like, this is his own interpretation, and it's great. And wouldn't it have been bad if it's just broody, brooding younger Han being like, I got a bad feeling about this, or it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, screw everyone else. I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want to do, Han Solo, like he was in A New Hope. You know, like that wouldn't have been entertaining. That's not a movie. You know, that's someone impersonating Han Solo, basically. Or Harrison Ford's Han Solo. I love how he's always like, I got a good feeling about this. I, I, I really think this is going to work. You know, him acting like he knows what's going on, but he really doesn't have a clue how over, over his head he is. Whereas later on, Harrison Ford's Han Solo, he's like, you know, Han helps the Rebel Alliance, but he's really just helping his friends and looking out for his skin. You know, and in this movie, he gets to dip into being a part of something bigger than himself and realizing, okay, you know, it's black and white. It's not black and white. It's kind of gray. Let me figure shit out on my own. I'm young. I tried that. That didn't work. I'm going to try something else now. And he kind of grows his wit. He learns how to be witty. He learns how, because I mean, Woody Harrelson's character also is influential in the character we didn't even know about until this movie. He is um, delightful. I love him. Yes, but like you still get the, the good. You like you get the good parts of Harrison Ford's Han Solo, where it's like, yeah, he's this grouchy old. He's not a grouchy old guy when he's younger, but eventually becomes grouchy. But he like he was optimistic, but he learns to like have some sort of goodness in him. You know, like like Alden's like always about like being cocky and being over his head, pretending like you know what you're doing. But he also kind of understands like, hey, I am smart. I think I can out with these people. I I can do these things. Um, and I, I really enjoy that. I think he, it's such a good casting. I love his get up. I just, I just really love this movie a lot. And, um, it does like we talked about with rogue one, it does a lot of world building really well, but in this movie, it's not more world building, but it's character building for what we end up seeing later on in the mo other movies. And I think it fits really well in the narrative, of what those characters are. Like I totally see young Lando, you know, in this movie growing up to be the Billy D. Williams Lando in, in episode five. Like I totally see that stuff. Yeah, that connection, 
that connection is a lot easier to see. I think Donald Glover is more so doing an impersonation of um, of the older version of Billy D. Williams, uh, but he's incredible at it. <laughs> he's he's perfect casting, um, so I absolutely love him in the movie. And I like to think that Han and Lando have not seen each other since the end of this movie. Same, um, same. So I I love how Lando says, "I'm going to get on my ship, and I never want to see you again." Whoa, and he whoa, whoa, whoa. your ship. <laughs> I won that fair and square. Yeah, and then we get the we get him winning the ship at the end. <laughs> God, I love it. I love their relationship. They're so much fun together. And um, Amelia Clark as <sighs> um so beautiful in this movie. She is. She you know oh she has to be the thing that Han is working towards the whole movie. That's like his ultimate dream. Yeah. And um, she sells it. Uh, her, her character is Kira, by the way. She's terrific in the movie. And I, and I wasn't sure that she would be because I saw her in Terminator Salvation. <laughs> That's a bad movie. And, you know, she's not very good in it. Probably yeah. not entirely her fault. That movie's got a pretty terrible director, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but here she's got a very good director and uh, she's great. I love the, I love how she, she's supposed to be the perfect girl that Han is going to win in the end, but she's not because she's off on her own path. It's a darker path. It's a much darker path than he's on. And she's always telling him the whole way. This is not, she wants it to work out with him because he's cute and he's sweet and she loves him. She at least likes him a lot, but she tells him the whole way, like, this is not going to work. I'm a different person now. I have changed. I've done bad things. I'm going to continue to do bad things. And he won't listen because he, he's so optimistic and he believes I can win the girl in the end. But as we know, because of where he is in a new hope, he will not win the girl in the end. And it's mm-hmm. one of the things that I think turns him more cynical by the end. True. True. And then with this movie, I think with rogue one, what we loved about the, the empire political dynamic power dynamics and this movie will we get even more. I love the, the organized villain. I love the crime syndicate, Paul Bellamy. Bettany. Bettany, sorry. So good in this movie. It's like, it's more condensed. It's not so grand in scope. It's very, not small time. You know, it's more focused. And I like that in this movie because like the crime underbelly of Star Wars is just as important as the battle between the rebels and the empire, the good versus the evil. I mean, you you talk about like people loving like Mandalorian and like, you you know, bounty hunters and that kind of stuff. In this movie, you you get like crime syndicates. You get an early Jabba the Hutt reference in this movie as well. I mean, this movie just is totally like about like the underbelly of crime. And I really like that in this movie. I like that in Star Wars. It it just kind of gives an idea of like what the things were going to be. Also, the action sequences in this movie are really, really good. Like, it's just like, it's it's a really engaging movie. Yeah. Uh, so Paul Bettany as Tobias Beckett, uh, the, the mm-hmm. crime lord, <laughs> he is to me one of the scariest Star Wars villains. <laughs> he makes me so uncomfortable because he feels real to me. And he feels like exactly the kind of guy where if I met him, I'd be like, oh, I have to get away from this man as fast as possible. He is making me so uncomfortable. Uh, He is such a scumbag in every sense of the word. And I love him. He's such a great, great villain. And Paul Bettany, he gets cast a lot. He's in a lot of stuff. And I think he's badly in danger of being oversaturated in in popular media. Mm. But um, 
yeah, I didn't know how I was going to feel about Paul Bettany being the Star Wars universe, being the main villain, but he sold me. I think he's incredible. I think Tobias Beckett's a great villain. Dude. And you mentioned, sorry, go ahead, man. I was going to say, what are your thoughts on the Crimson Dawn syndicate? Love Crimson Dawn. Um, I need a Crimson Dawn movie and I need it ASAP. And I uh, need it directed by so the, good. I need it to be directed by Martin Scorsese. <laughs> they'd be like you know those marvel movies they're not cinema but star wars that stuff is cinema i'm gonna do that on disney plus i'm just, just saying like I work with netflix i love martin scorsese but he was also in a shark tale he's not above anything anymore <laughs> like he's not he isn't a shark tale <laughs> no but in the end when they reveal that uh darth maul is the head of crimson dawn that's amazing guys uh for anyone that's a fan of clone wars and rebels darth maul's living at the end of phantom menace has been well-established canon for a long time and that's the first time it's been acknowledged in live action and i love that opening night i continue to love it now it makes me so happy yeah i think with rogue one we talk about the cgi for a new hope you know with with princess leia i think star wars uh, solo a star wars story i think gets really right the idea of incorporating these smaller mediums that aren't as popular as the movies themselves and brings them as just as important as the movies and same thing Excuse me. Same, and I think it kind of gives the uh, the influence for like Rise of Skywalker, where we talked about the Je- all the Jedi that were talking to Rey. Um, you know, I feel like Solo does that really well too. And I don't, th- I don't know what I want more. Do I want a Solo trilogy more, or do I want a Ryan Johnson Star Wars trilogy more? Because these, because Solo, well, you're not going to get either one, so you might as well stop thinking about it. <laughs> but I remember, man, I remember when Solo was coming out. I was like, I need two more of these movies. Like, I need a Solo trilogy because this movie had so much open to it. You know, like I don't know what they would have done. I would have been happy with just seeing these characters doing, you know, like more castle runs or doing more hits. You know, and like building the character more. I would have enjoyed it. That's how much I like this movie. I think this. I just think this movie just gets it really right. I like how also Chewie and Han, because they're so synonymous with each other, this movie makes their meeting pretty believable. And it's a pretty engaging part of the movie too. Like, I mean, Chewbacca is the last of the Wookiees. He's captured. Makes sense. Han gets captured because he was starting fighting with the, with the empire, which I thought was an interesting take for the character. And it makes sense why he's so quick to be against the empire. Um, I like that stuff, you know, like, I don't know, like this movie does a lot of things right. It doesn't do a lot of things wrong. It does a lot right, though. I I love it, too. I love how Han and Chewie meet. I love basically every second of them together in this movie. You know, just the idea of like Han and Chewie's relationship. I mean, it's just perfect Star Wars brotherhood. It makes me so happy. They're, they're great. They're fantastic together in this movie, even though, yeah, he's just a, you know, a, a walking carpet just going, ah, whatever. He's a great character. He's great in this movie. They're great together. And you mentioned earlier about the action being great in this movie. Yeah. I'm, you know, I have problems with some of the action in Rogue One. I don't think it's that exciting. Solo, the action is all great. It's fantastic. It's always thrilling. And a lot of people have said, I didn't need to see the Kessel run. I don't care about seeing the Kessel run. The Kessel Run is one of the best action sequences in all of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most thrilling space ch- space ship chases like ever committed to film. I think it is like jaw dropping, brilliant filmmaking from start to finish. That whole sequence is like 
one of the best things in the whole franchise. Mm -hmm, So when you say, mm -hmm. I didn't need to see the castle run, whatever, you didn't need to see any movie really, but you get to (laughs) and be thankful. Yeah, dude. Okay, so we got to talk about Beckett though. Um, Woody Harrelson's character. He's not mentioned in any of the other movies, but like he's very prevalent in this movie. You know, maybe it's because I ha- I just recently watched Venom 2 where it's like Woody Harrelson for me is kind of like, eh, whatever, you know. He's just being in whatever's popular. But in this movie, he really does a good job of being this Beckett character. And you get the incorporation of the beginning of the Rebel Alliance in a way too. Um, and I like how Han has to choose between what he wants to do or joining a cause that's on the rise. I like the ending of this movie and what he decides to do. Um I feel like Beckett is kind of like a, like some of the bad parts of what Han's character can kind of be. And then eventually we get, you know, how Han would take some of those lessons he learned and apply them to be a better person and kind of re- refine them a little bit more. I really like that kind of like father son dynamic relationship in a way. Cause like, I always thought like, oh, Beckett was gonna be a good character and help Han. But then I'm like, wait, no, like you're not gonna be able to trust this kind of character, you know? <laughs> which kind of what Han was like at the beginning of A New Hope in a weird way. So first of all, I'm so embarrassed because I was confused when you started talking about Beckett, but then I realized earlier I was calling Paul Bettany's character Tobias Beckett. No, Paul Bettany's character is Dryden Voss. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. Woody Harrelson is Tobias Beckett. So correction, I'm very sorry about that. I got names mixed Bruh. up. But anyway, anyway, yeah, I also love Woody Harrelson. Uh, Woody Harrelson, he's... He's one of the best actors we have today. Um, Anytime he pops up in any movie, he always makes me happy. Um, There's certain actors of his caliber who I would put like, say, Samuel L. Jackson or Christopher Walken, who are great presences, who always kind of play similar characters. Um, But I think, you know, some of those guys, they phone it in a good bit amount of the time. Uh, Samuel (laughs) Jackson, he can phone it in sometimes. Woody Harrelson, I've never seen him phone it in ever. He is always bringing it. He brings it in this movie, even though he has hair, which is weird. <laughs> um, yeah, he's a, he's a great character. He, you know, he's a cynical old bastard. He definitely, you can see the influence that he has had on Han. And, uh, and, and you know, sorry to skip to the end, but I love the ending mm-hmm. when he's sort of mm-hmm. like, he's going to shoot Han, but he's kind of giving him a little speech like villains often do. And Han shoots him. And what I love about that scene is you can call it fan service if you want because of the whole Han shot first controversy. Oh my God. (laughs) But it's the good kind of fan service in that you don't have to know that it's fan service to, for it to make sense and to enjoy the moment. It's a great character moment for Han. If you know it's fan service, it'll make you happy. That's cool. You know, you'll be like, ah, because Han shot first, that's fun. But if you don't know that it doesn't matter because it's still, it works in the story and it's a great moment anyway on its own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i agree and like what this movie does well it's like yes it's han a star wars story but all these side characters get a lot of great moments on their own like chewbacca being engaged with all the other wookies um in the escape of the planet i i, I can't remember its name um the refinery planet where he's helping other wookies escape he gets his own moments throughout this whole movie lando gets moments all by himself throughout this movie amelia clark's character does as well they're great characters, great ensemble. Yeah, like, I mean, freaking Kira fighting Dryden Voss is a very, is, are very great scenes. Like, I, I, I want a movie with just Kira. I want to know what's about, what, what's going on with her. Um, 
it just yeah this movie kind of understands like these characters all are engage- like entertaining and kind of gives them free reign to do their own scenes in a way you know because it just it's a weird different it's a different star wars movie like it is star wars but it feels different from a lot of the other ones where it's there's no like there's no jedi there's no sith you know it's just all about blasters you know it's all about the scum and villainy and i really like that movie you know i really like how the tone it goes for with it i do too it is the only star wars movie without lightsabers rogue one almost is but you Mm -hmm. got a lightsaber at the end from darth vader so solo really is the only one also you get Um, like oh sorry i was gonna say you also get like speed racing scenes not pod racing but speed racer scenes throughout this movie with han wanting to pilot something and prove that he he's a good pilot you know um you get that in the beginning of the movie you get that later on in the movie you get a like i like that stuff it feels kind of like street racing in a way in an odd way you know like it feels like oh heck yeah like this that's movie, what it's totally supposed to be yeah and you know star wars it's it they're just spaceships ultimately they're just spaceships but the millennium falcon is always that one spaceship that feels different and this movie kind of makes you know we talk about like oh new york or the or the city is the character of its own the millennium falcon kind of is its own character in all of Star Wars. Oh, undoubtedly. And in yeah. this movie, it really brings it to the forefront, almost as strong as Force Awakens does for the Millennium Falcon, you know? Oh, that reminds me of one of my favorite moments in the movie. Because there's a there's a trend all through Star Wars that when anybody sees the Millennium Falcon for the first time, they scoff at it. And they're like, what? Like Luke says, what a piece of junk. <laughs> or like Ray says, that thing is garbage. <laughs> when Han sees it for the first time, It's like he's just seen the love of his life. And it makes me so happy to see him instantly fall in (laughs) love with his ship because nobody reacts to the Falcon the way he does. Same. And also one of my favorite moments in the movie is when he first gets to sit in the pilot seat and he jumps in the seat and he just takes a moment to take it in and he looks so happy. And then he kicks into gear. It's just these little character moments that Alden Ehrenreich just 100% nails. Yes. Yeah, he kind of, he just knows what like Harrison would have done in these movies. And again, it gives more to like why we need to get more movies with him is this Han character. Um, you talk, We talked about the Castle Run earlier. The Castle Run scenes throughout this whole movie, it, it's, it's, it's phenomenal stuff. Like you see a freaking alien monster in the vortex of space trying to like swallow up all the characters and them shooting out like that stuff's really entertaining cinema like when we talk about ron howard doing this movie and then you think about his daughter bryce dallas howard you know she maybe made the best mandalorian episode too i mean that they just kind of understand star wars you know yeah, she's a really good director in her own right. She's going to be doing some directing work on Book of Boba Fett too, which makes me really happy because I'm also a big fan of her episodes of Mandalorian in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like these these side Star Wars movies, like they're, like, I mean, yeah, Solo didn't make a lot of money and people want to blame that. But I mean, it was such a very good movie. And like you said earlier, I think it just came out the wrong time, man. Yeah, it did. And, you know, I let me, let me ask people, let me just this idea out there if you dismiss this movie because well it's not harrison ford and han solo is harrison ford and i don't care about han solo if it's not harrison ford imagine this imagine sean connery made six bond movies 
And then you didn't get Roger Moore, no George Lazenby, no Pierce Brosnan, no Timothy Dalton. They didn't make those movies. And then suddenly Casino Royale comes out, Daniel Craig. Are you saying, well, I don't care about those Daniel Craig Bond movies because um, because Bond is Sean Connery and that's all I care about. Like, really? You're really going to dismiss the, the quality of Casino Royale, the, the good performance, the great performance that Daniel Craig gives as, as that character just because you're only willing to accept one actor as a character? I think that's silly. Like, recasting is common. Recasting happens in, happens in franchises a lot. And yes, this isn't Harrison Ford. It's a, it's a hurdle. Maybe it's hard to get past. It's not for me because I've seen characters be recast a million times. It doesn't bother me as long as they do a good job. And Alden is phenomenal. He's got movie star charisma to burn. He should be a huge star right now. I feel like this movie kind of killed his career, which makes me really sad because he's done very little since this. Um, and he doesn't deserve it. I, I saw a tweet the other day. Actually, I think it was today and I just retweeted it. And it said, Alden Allen. Alden Ellenreich should have had the career that Ansel Elgort has. And that is 100% true. Ansel Elgort does not deserve his career. Alden should have that. Alden over Ansel. What, what, what is going on with these names? I don't know. But I just love this guy. I love him as the character. He's so fun to watch. And I have seen, I'm sorry for going on a speech about Alden, but I love him. I have seen a lot of superhero movies, of like origin movies, in which the the actor doesn't pop that much. Like they're okay, they're good, they're fine, but they always get a sequel. And the fact that Alden pops in this so much brighter than a lot of superhero actors I have seen and he like gets shit on for it and his career ends over it, that is unconscionable. That is like shameful. Yeah, I agree. He I I was like I said we I would love two more movies with him in this. Like him and Chewie and, you know, Lando doing something and then a movie, him alone with, you know, Jabba, you know, maybe doing a movie where they get the boarding scene and then we see him in the cantina being chased by Greedo. That'd be kind of cool. Like, I'm totally down for a trilogy with him and these characters doing more. Also to d- dive not only that, but into like the Crimson Dawn um, syndicate. And like I'd love to see more of that. Um. I had a small stroke when you were talking about Ansel Elgort. And <laughs> um, it's crazy because like I really like his, I like him and I like the movies he's in, but like I'm not gonna see a West Side Story, not because he's oh in I it, am, but it's I'm because like see West Side Story. I don't care about a West Side Story, and I don't really care about that much Spielberg <laughs> movies. The, the original West Side Story by Robert Wise, it really is one of the best movies ever made. Like, it, I'm not just saying that, like, it really is. Um, and that's why this movie has a huge hurdle to cross for me. But I'm, I'm going to see. How it, old absolutely. are you again? I'm sorry. I'm 56. No, I'm, I'm 28. Hold me, man. West, West Side Story, one of the best movies ever. Elvis and the Beatles, one of the best musicians ever. Like, they are. <laughs> oh, my Dude, God. I host a podcast called Cobwebs. <laughs> I, I appreciate old things. That's the kinda, entire premise of my podcast. Do I dare say they're kind of mid at best? What is mid? Dude, uh, the Beatles are mid. <laughs> no, they're the greatest band of all time. If you're Actually. the if you're white guys in charge of the Rolling Stone magazine, yeah, they're the best <laughs> things ever. But not to the normal world we live in now. 
The Beatles are the the Beatles for me are basically the lullabies that grade schoolers listen to in music class these days because oh, they man. don't have the because you know, the teachers don't have the time or the crayons to teach these kids better music. I, I'm not going to get into this because there's no point, but I will just say there is no band that you like that would exist without the Beatles. Mm, which, who's, your, who's your favorite Beatle, Paul? Uh, you know probably but I, I really do love jo- i mean paul has the best solo career for sure but um i really love john lennon especially mm. in the early days i mean the early days john was the best but mm. probably overall paul hmm. interesting okay I, I was just curious because i just didn't know it doesn't even matter for the podcast but yeah star, <laughs> yeah but solo star wars story like please watch the fucking movie because it is so fucking good to me it's top tier star wars doesn't get any better than that um but yeah we are to the point, Daniel, where I think we need to start talking about all the Star Wars movies because you've been watching coinciding the original trilogy. I haven't, um, but I, I know those movies. I know where they are. I watch them all day, um, but the sequel trilogy is my least rewatched amount. So I feel like now I can confidently rank them a little bit more. I did it once on my bummy YouTube channel. I don't know if anybody watched that, but I did. And I think my list has changed since then. But then again, when it comes to Star Wars, I feel like it's always changing, you know? Yeah, I ranked them a couple of years ago or so. And uh, for this, I also changed it a good yeah. bit. So it's, it, you know, it's probably always, it's a, it's a living document, but I feel good about where it is right now. At yeah. least. Also, when you were talking about James Bond movies and like your Sean Connery being like without Casino Royale, it's like, I haven't even seen Casino Royale. So like, I can't, I, I, I can't relate to that. I know. And every day I like get on my knees and beg you to watch Casino Royale and you just won't do it. <laughs> I've never, I think only the Pierce Brosnan's Bond movies are the only ones I've watched. I'm not going to lie. I think those are the only ones. Is the Matador part of the Bond trilogy? It should be. Uh, but, well, first of all, Pierce Brosnan doesn't have a Bond trilogy. He has a Bond quadrilogy. Uh, there are four movies. And no, the Matador is not part of it. Oh, okay. Should the Vantage Point film be a part of the Bond movies? I don't know what that is. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> okay. Give, how should we do the Star Wars ranking? I know this is the only reason people have been listening to the podcast now. Uh, so if I were the host, I would probably just have the guests go through their ranking and then I would go through mine. Well, you're the guest, but you've kind of, you know, sabotaged my podcast. So I've sabotaged your podcast. <laughs> should we start from the best, like the top ones to the worst ones no. or the worst ones to the top ones worst to top for sure okay i will let you go first daniel okay what is the worst star wars movie for you you know i hate to say worst because i like every movie here so how it works is i like the bottom two i really like the next two and then i love the top seven so which ones do you adore the top one i adore (laughs) the top seven or okay. no i adore all of them i adore is there every a difference one, between but... love and adore because when i go on twitter people go like i adore this movie or like i love this movie i no, stand I don't so. this movie i think it's just you know switching up the language so you don't sound like you're saying the same thing all the time i think that's really it yeah yeah maybe we're really right. keeping people in suspense as to this ranking okay so my bottom my number 11 is episode two attack of the clones okay. i like it I respect its place in the trilogy. I would never tell anyone to skip it, but it has a lot of problems. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's overlong. It's probably the one Star Wars movie that I will watch while I'm doing other things. And I will kind of pop back in and out of. It's not great, but I like it. It's also the only Star Wars movie of my lifetime that I didn't see in theaters. 
Um, so that's mm. okay. So my number 10 is Rogue One. Like it. It's a good movie. Uh, a lot of stuff I love about it, actually, but still, it doesn't hold as, as high a place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Number nine Wait, is. Wait, isn't really... there 11 Star Wars movies? Yeah. So 11 is Attack of the Clones, 10 oh. is Rogue One for me. Uh, oh, okay. Rogue One. My number is nine one. is really controversial. Are you ready? No. Yes. My number nine is Return of the Jedi. So my number nine and my number eight are basically tied. Um, I had the choice of whether to go with my head or go with my heart. I went with my heart. So Return of the Jedi is the head choice because uh, I know it's a great movie. Um, it's uh, it's a classic. It's just, you know, there's it's a it's a big drop off Empire Strikes Back for me. Like yeah. even technically, I just don't think the director, uh, Richard Marquand, is a great director. Um, I, I don't particularly like uh, I don't particularly like um, Ian McDermott's performance as the emperor. I thought, I think he got a lot better later on, but you know, the throne room sequence, Darth Vader, everything between Luke and Vader is amazing. There's so much great stuff in it. I love, it's a really good movie. My number eight is the Phantom Menace, which I know is way overperforming for people, but look, the Phantom Menace makes me really happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's the only one of these movies that has Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul, unless you count his little cameo in Solo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Qui-Gon Jinn is one of my top favorite characters in the whole universe. And that's just based on this one movie. And I love Darth Maul in it. And and I just can't deny there's so much of what we love about Star Wars is because of the Phantom Menace. It expands the universe so much it adds so much for us to chew on in this universe and um it makes me really it's a joy machine for me it just makes me really happy mm-hmm. yeah we never got another qui-gon Jin type character it's interesting i think qui-gon is the ultimate jedi like not the most powerful but i think the most philosophically sound and good and he's the only one he's the only jedi to discover the the force ghosts kind of thing you know yeah that's right yeah he it's we find out later that he sort of teaches that to Obi-Wan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, Liam Neeson is Qui-Gon. He's amazing. Yeah. He's a big reason that Phantom Menace ranks as high as it does. I, mm-hmm. I really love it. Mm-hmm. My number seven is the force awakens, which used to be higher for me, honestly. And I still love it, but I just lowered it a little bit because it's just a little bit less interesting. Uh, it adds less new to the franchise, Yeah, but it's ridiculously entertaining. Sure. Sure. My number six is rise of Skywalker, okay. which we've talked about it. I love it. Problems mm-hmm. and all makes mm-hmm. me so happy. My number five, this, this is jumped. Honestly, it used to be a little bit lower for me is solo. Oh, I'm scared. I can't deny how much I watch solo. Like sure. it's such a comfort movie. It flies by every time I pop it on I, I, again, like I keep saying it makes me so happy, but that's what star Wars does for me. So solo makes me really happy. Oh, like My I said, one- I'll take the crown for that influence. Thank you. I mean, I liked it before you, but uh, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, not saying before you. It's not like it's a race. I meant anyway, my number four is Revenge of the Sith, which is an incredible Star Wars movie. I think um, it gives so much to the lore and to the world of Star Wars. I think Hayden Christensen is great in it. I, I'm against the naysayers. I don't think he's bad at all. I think him and Ewan McGregor are fantastic. I love their brotherhood relationship and how it falls apart. The ending fight is incredible between them. Uh, the opera sequence between Hayden Christensen and Ian McDermott is incredible. This is the best Emperor movie, the best movie for Palpatine. He's yeah, incre- yeah. I keep saying incredible, but I love Revenge <laughs> of the Sith. I think it's thrilling and exciting and sad and devastating and all of that all at once. 
My number three is Return of the Jedi. Uh, sorry, not Return. My number three is The Last Jedi, uh, which is my favorite of the Disney Star Wars movies. It's it's fascinating and challenging and about a lot of interesting things. And it's a great kick-ass action Star Wars movie. My number two and my number one are two of the very best movies ever made, I think. And I think they're the only two perfect five out of five Star Wars movies. My number two is The Empire Strikes Back. There's a good argument to be made that it's actually the best Star Wars movie. Um, it's perfect. And it I can't even tell you how much it thrills me every single time I watch it. It's also just one of the weirdest blockbusters ever made. Almost everything about it is a giant swing that yeah. probably in any other hands would have been terrible. And everything about it works out perfectly. It's insane that they made their main Jedi mentor character of the film, a two foot puppet. And it's somehow, I think one of the greatest supporting characters in the history of cinema. I don't <laughs> understand how they did it, but they did it. And my number one is a new hope, the original star Wars, no star Wars movie makes me happier. Uh, almost no movie makes me happier. It's, it's a perfect fairy tale set in space. Um, the, everything about it, uh, the star Wars universe started right out of the gate perfect and that doesn't happen and it's also oddly dark that they show the skeletons of luke's aunt and uncle that's true they do yeah there's such a weird dark shit in this movie yeah also yeah i think people overlook how crazy it is that yoda is yoda in empire strikes back (laughs) it's insane like every time if i watch empire strikes back and just think this is just a sequel that came out in the 1980 in 1980 Mm-hmm. And it's just a movie that they made. And it's so fucking weird. And everything about it is perfect at the same time. And the weight of I am your father is so crazy to think about at the time. Like, yeah. the fuck I mean, it might that? be the most, it might be the most iconic twist in all of movies. Mm, mm, mm. That's a crazy ranking. I, I wrote my ranking with yours so I can kind of figure it out later so I can drink and curse at the moon about like, what the fuck was he thinking? <laughs> so um let's see i'm sure a lot of people are looking at my list saying what the fuck was he thinking yeah let's see clone wars 11 rogue one return of the jedi phantom force awakens rise of skywalker solo revenge of the sith (laughs) last jedi empire and new hope that is crazy I feel like everyone's it's just where I, you read my ranking in a mocking voice. Right. I just, I feel like everyone's Star Wars ranking is kind of crazy. Maybe that's what I always think. Cause like every movie means something different to everyone else. But anyway, I already made my list. So I'm going to go through mine real quick. So starting I'm from so the excited. bottom up, um, the, my least favorite is clone Star Wars attack of the clones. Same thing as you movies way too fucking long. It's not, in, it's just political until the last 20 minutes of the movie. With the attack, with the clones actually finally attacking and the Jedi fighting scenes, you get to get good Kit Fisto scenes of this movie. I really appreciate that. Um, next movie, so number ten for me, it's Revenge of the Sith. It's a little what? Mel- it's a little melodramatic oh my for me. God. It's a little melodramatic for me. Um, I think the part where Anakin becomes Darth Vader and he screams no is a part I skip often. I'm not engaged with that. I think it's corny. I think of the emoji with the glasses with his teeth buckled up. I think it's kind of like, this is a really good scene. Me, it's not. It's not that good. <laughs> you were the chosen one. You were my brother, Anakin. Like, yeah, I, I get the way. I understand the way. I just don't care. It's a little too melodramatic for me. Um, okay. 
okay. but the beginning is is very strong. They're attacking Coruscant, General Grievous, the Utapau scenes, really good stuff. I think it takes itself a little bit to bit too much more serious than I think it needs to. Anyway, um, number nine for me is The Force Awakens. I agree with you. I don't think it's that strong. It doesn't do anything different for me. I like the movie a lot. It's very, when it came out, very good, very entertaining but there's better Star Wars out there. I feel like if I want to get that stuff, then Force Awakens. Again, I don't watch it very often, but when I do, I enjoy it. It's a good movie. 11, 10, 9. All right, number eight for me is Rise of Skywalker. Um, again, I really like the movie. I'm with Daniel. Like, because this be kind of the, the order we're putting in it, I still really like the movies a lot. Like, Rise of Skywalker being number eight Star Wars for me. I'm just going to watch that over a lot of other movies. Um, but in the scope of all the other movies, I'm going to put it at number eight. Um, number seven for me is Rogue One. I think with my last rewatch, I just really enjoy this movie a lot. It's going to be a big background movie for me, and I'm going to have a good time with it. Um, uh, number six is going to be A New Hope for me. It just misses out in the top five. I just don't rewatch New Hope a lot. Like I've watched a lot growing up, but I just, I don't watch it very often. I think it gets only better from there. Number five, Phantom Menace. Um, I really like the movie a lot. I like its directing style. I love the characters. It gives you a little bit of that fun in the action space. It gives you the witty comedy. It gives you the good Jedi stuff. Um, and I think it's, I love you McGregor in that movie. I love Liam Neeson. Number four, Solo. Misses out in top three. Love Solo to death, uh, but I can't put in top three because Last Jedi is number three. Number two, Empire Strikes Back, and then number one, Return of the Jedi. Wait, where? What was number three was Last Jedi? Mm-hmm. Number three is Last Jedi. Oh, number okay. two, Empire, and then number one, Return of the Jedi. Okay, that that was brutal. Like, I barely made out of that alive. <laughs> it was insane. <laughs> Oh, just the fact, you know, uh, I, I, I love you, man. I love the taste of subjective. Here it's all go. good. I'm not Here actually bad about it, but um, <laughs> the idea of putting Phantom Menace over the original is staggering to me. Yeah. The fact, I mean, dude, the pod racing scenes, the things with the Gungans, the, the, the three, the, the, the duel of the fates score in the the scenes with those are awesome no i i like all of that yeah. for sure I don't, I don't gotta explain it you get it but yeah I, I well, okay let let me ask you this though okay why is return of the jedi your favorite it's the one i've watched the most growing up and the one i still enjoy a lot it has a lot of seriousness to it but it also has a lot of carefreeness to it i'm talking about the ewoks the battle of endor um, I love Luke Skywalker's being his lightsaber being, you know, green. I love the scenes with Jabba's palace and him R2 shooting the lightsaber out for him to catch it and have the fight, you know, um, slave slave costume. Leia is really cool. I'm not going to lie. Um, I also <laughs> love I also love Lando in Nidnub going in and, and destroying the Death Star part two. You know, I love those those scenes. I think it's really strong. Sure, Palpatine's not very good, but I do like the scenes where Vader has his whole army lined up and them just walking and talking about how things. Yeah, are that's going. all great. Yeah, like I like that stuff. Um, it builds a little bit more on what Empire did really well. Um, I just kind of a personal preference for me. I think the things that are in that I just really enjoyed a lot more. It feels very Star Wars. It's like 
kind of not as serious, but also serious to an extent in a way, you know? Sure. Well, I think that's great, man. I really do. And I think a lot of people would say that both of our lists are certifiably insane. And I, I think that's beautiful. Honestly, if your Star Wars ranking isn't kind of weird, then uh, that sucks. Like if your Star Wars ranking is just prequels at the bottom, then the, all the sequel trilogy movies in a row, and then all the original trilogies at the top, like eh, that's that's kind of boring. You know, I, I like that our lists are weird. I, I appreciate that. I oddly, yeah, I agree. I mean, people think of the original trilogy is like the best. I have two in the top three, and you know, as do you. Um, I just, I just think Star Wars is so much more than just the original trilogy. There's so much more to it than Absolutely. just that, and you only don't get that until time progresses and different minds get into Star Wars, and that's why I really love Star Wars. It's like we said in the beginning of this entire Star Wars member, where it's like, it's one of those few popular franchise mediums where it can go literally anywhere and anybody with a, a really good idea can incorporate it in some way and given the chance it could be very entertaining blockbuster movie making yeah and the other thing i love about it over a lot of other franchises is it doesn't reboot honestly yeah. like the number one thing that they could do with star wars that would break my heart is just reboot the continuity oh that would God. break my heart yeah, I can't even imagine. I I want franchises to keep going, keep the continuity going, get crazy, get weird. I love that. You know, it's the I always say the reason I don't like the Terminator franchise is they won't keep with a continuity. There's no reason for me to invest in this. There's no point because you're just going to reboot it again. And uh, Star Wars is the polar opposite of that. It's like the Chucky franchise, even though they technically have one remake. But with this TV show, the continuity just keeps going and going. And uh, that makes me very happy. I love that. Oh, the show continues with the movies. It does. And very, very well from what I've Ooh. seen so far. I know you've been telling me to watch these Chucky movies. I didn't realize that with the show. Yeah, the show is one of the best Chucky anything we've ever gotten. Honestly, it's pretty incredible. Hmm. Yeah. You know, when we talk about like rebooting and stuff like that, I can't wrap my mind around what the hell the next movie saga is going to be. Cause they call it the Skywalker saga. What the hell is going to be the next thing in star Wars? Like the main movies. Like I, I can't comprehend, you know, like whoever has to make that decision. I don't feel jealous of in any sort of capacity. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, you know, I'm open to it. I'm excited. I want to see what they do. Mm-hmm. Biggest question is Star Wars Vember or Sad Vember? Which one, ha- which one have you engaged in more? <laughs> well, obviously Star Wars Vember because we're doing this. I've watched, I've watched a lot of movies and shows and read a lot of Star Wars this month. I've really mm-hmm. just engrossed myself in this universe. Uh, December, I'm ready to switch it up, you know try some new things. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm, I'm happy we got to do this. Um, I hope people really enjoyed it. Uh, it's sad to see it go, but you know, Star Wars is always going to be there. I agree with you. It's very much a end of the end of the year kind of thing for me, you know, just watching them. Um, I'm ready to go back and watch the original trilogy. Oddly enough, I haven't watched the original trilogy as much as I have the prequel and sequel trilogy. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but I'm very excited um, to hear what people's Star Wars rankings are going to be. I mean, I think that's like one of the most fun things people do besides like MCU rankings and stuff like that. It's like, how do you rank the Star Wars movies? You know, MCU ranking is double the length. That would be exhausting. I don't even know where to start. Rank it, rank it right now. Uh, my number one is Infinity War. My last is Thor The Dark World. The rest of it's a crapshoot. Bruh, my number one right now is No Way Home. 
best movie of ever in the MCU. Already? Wow, look at you. <laughs> look at you with your advanced screenings. Dude, I'm going to tell you right now how a, new, a No Way Home is about to happen, like screen by screen. I already know what it's going to be. Oh, from, from Marvel TikTok? <laughs> yes, the most cancerous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, re- I really enjoyed doing this, man. I, I don't know if you noticed, we had some few verified people like our stuff for this. I, I think it was a very successful deep dive into the sequel trilogy and i'm happy you were a part of it man thank you thank you so much for having me for it uh if you ever feel like doing inside the prequel trilogy you know let me know oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah the I question can't, is would anyone listen i can't wait to really get nose divin into the um the, the the politics of attack of the clones like i'm so excited for that Dude, we you, we love the politics of Star Wars. We have a dedicated Facebook group for people who don't know, where we literally talk about the the political dynamics of the prequel movies. We do, <laughs> yeah. We're like, hey, which alien species vetoed or you know made a call to action, a call to vote on this you know political issue, um, during the council scenes, which oh, I can't. Stand. Don't get me started. It's it's bedtime now. I could go for another hour. <laughs> Dude, did you know E.T. Species was in the Star Wars prequel movies? Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, but yeah. Um, no, I hope everyone enjoyed, you know, this nosedive into the Star Wars sequel trilogies. I really enjoy them. I think people need to watch these movies now, you know, because times the dust is settled. I feel like hating Star Wars isn't cool anymore for internet clout. I feel like people can come out of their shells and talk about what they really like and not pretend to hate things they love, you know? Yes, please. Let's, let's cease and desist with the Star Wars hate. If you want to hate Star Wars, please do it in the, in the comfort of your own home. You know what? Do you know what I did when I hated Rogue One opening night? Here we go. I complained to my personal friends in person for that night. And then that was it. I did not go on the internet and throw a tirade. I did not attack anybody. Certainly did not talk to any of the creators about it. I complained to my personal friends in person for one night. And that was basically it. Mm-hmm. And that's what everybody should do if they and, don't like a Star Wars movie. Right. And then he went back and watched the movies more and found things he liked about it. Um, and then I read a book to like the movie more. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's also like, remember the dark ages of Star Wars where we weren't knowing if there was going to be more Star Wars movies coming out. You know, now everyone is bragging about the new Disney Plus Star Wars stuff and buying the Lego Star Wars things. Also, Lego Star Wars. When are we going to do uh, Inside the Sequel on the Lego Star Wars video games? Dude, I, I'm not sure if it's released yet or if it's about to, but they're releasing Star Wars, the complete Skywalker saga game for Lego. And uh, I want it. I want it. Also, you can't talk about Star Wars without the video games. And I think the best Star Wars video games are the Lego video games. Although, you know what I like better than playing Star Wars Lego video games? Mm. Building actual Star Wars Legos. It's so fun. It's like my go-to relaxation thing during the holiday season. It's so much. It's such a blast. Lego literally is the blueprint for capitalism. They know what to do to make money. They corner the internet nerds with money and they make Legos and upcharge the hell out of those things for people to buy. And I fall for it. Yeah. I saw people, people right now during Black Friday and all their Christmas sales are buying like the ATAT release of the, of the Lego re- edition of that. And it's like $700. And I'm like, I want it. <laughs> I just want the, uh, the Mandalorian ship 
on Lego. I, that's I've honestly asked for that for Christmas, and we'll see if that happens. Ooh, ooh! I I have a baby Grogu figure. I'm good. That thing's gonna. I don't need kids in real life. I have a baby Grogu. Although a bait <laughs> a, a, a an a animatronic BB-8 would be really cool. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and a, and a gym membership to um to uh the the Coruscant gym where i can see pal pal protein jar jar <laughs> bench lifting and qui-gon gym this is a very specific joke yeah hopefully mitch gets it but anyway danny have anything else you want to say about star war vember and your last appearance on inside the sequel before we we close up shop <laughs> <laughs> No, man, I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. I got to spill my guts about these Star Wars movies that I love, and it's been a blast. Yeah, and now you can spend time with your family during the holidays, and I have to watch all the Star Wars movies for this podcast. Oh, finally. <laughs> now but I just got to watch Christmas movies. It is the season. One of my least favorite things to do around the year, I'm not going to lie. But <laughs> either way, um, I want to thank everyone for for you know, supporting us. I think a lot of people really enjoy this. We got really great feedback. I really appreciate it. Go watch that trailer promo that I created because I spent a week and a half working on that and it (laughs) doesn't have enough views. So keep gassing that one up. Um, Other than that, if you want to listen to more of what we have to say, um, check out Daniel on cobwebs. He's on everywhere. You can find a podcast. It's iTunes, Spotify, Podster, I guess is one of them. Um, And I think, also, you can listen to it on... Nah, never mind. I'm going to cut that part out. But if you also want to listen to the Inside the Sequel, I mean, you can check us out on Spotify as well on iTunes. Email the show at sequelpod at gmail.com. We're on, both on Twitter. Um, links will be down below. Let us know what your Star Wars rankings are when we post the episode on Friday. Um, thank you all for tuning in. And remember, if you aren't standing your love for Star Wars, you literally do not care about cinema. Anyway, we'll see you next time.